Well, good morning to all of you once again. Glad to have you worshiping with us here this morning at Gateway Tays Valley. And hopefully you all had a wonderful Labor Day weekend. And uh, while it's technically still summer, uh, the pumpkin spice and the cooler nighttime temperatures tell me that fall uh, is just around the corner. Now, as you know, we've been going through uh, this series, Faith with Doubt, for several weeks now, and one of the things we've been consistently saying is that questions and doubts are normal to life and normal to our faith. And I hope you've heard that, and I hope you believe that. Having doubts or questions, it doesn't make you weak, it doesn't make your faith weak, it makes you human. And I hope that you continue to seek the answers to your questions through God's Word and through prayer and through messages like these instead of simply giving up on your faith. Because look, Jesus told his closest followers that they would have troubles of many kinds in this world. And last week we saw where the prophet Jeremiah was set apart by God, yet he had his dreams devastated by him. Our faith does not grant us a get-out-of-pain-free card. In fact, we've seen that our faith may actually cause our troubles and pain to increase. But in those moments, sometimes the only thing you can hold on to is Jesus, because he's all that's left. This week, we, I saw our belief in Jesus compared to a, a walker that some might have to use to get around. Now, if you've ever seen somebody use a, a walker, or maybe you've had to use one yourself for a time, you know that you have to labor with each step. A healthy middle-aged person doesn't need a walker to get around. Typically, you only need a walker after a major surgery or an injury or because you're at such an advanced age that you just you need the help. And the point is, a person who isn't laboring with each step does not need a walker. And that can be how our life can feel sometimes. Just to keep moving every day is a struggle. We are laboring to make it through the storm, through whatever evil is being thrown our way. And there are times that you just don't feel like you can take that next step. And so we have to lean on our faith, our belief in Jesus, to help us keep putting one foot in front of the other, to keep moving, even though we are laboring with every step. And in the times that life is the hardest, our faith might be the only thing that keeps us upright. And we can take heart because Jesus has overcome this world. And we can take heart because we know that God is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now we talked about that verse last week when we talked about the prophet Jeremiah. And I hope that you never forget this promise here. And today we're going to be looking at one of the the greatest stories in the gospel. If you've been in church for a while, I'm sure you've heard it. If you grew up in church, I'm definitely sure that you heard it. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at one of the greatest stories in the gospel, and we're going to be talking about unfounded fears this morning. Now, as I said that, and you start, did you like have a catalog of Bible stories in your brain? You start running through, oh, I wonder which one it's going to be that talks about fear, and it's a really, it's in the Gospels, and it it talks about, uh, it's one of the greatest stories. Well, if you've, uh, if you've started running through, did you get it? Did you find something? Have you, do you have your guess 
what we're going to talk about. Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 14, and you can find out for yourself when you get there, and then we're going to be coming back there in just a few moments to go through that story. But our story today is taking place right after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. And if you were to read this in the Gospel of John, you would see that he adds a bit of commentary to his account of this story. In John chapter 6, verses 14, John says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this is an often overlooked uh, wisdom from Jesus here. You have God in human form, uh, capable of things never before seen, yet he would often withdraw from the crowds. Now, was he resting, or was he praying, or was he doing both? There are times where we're not told what he was doing, but he was intentional about taking a break from the action. Now, as if you needed another reminder this morning, uh, you are not Jesus. I'm sorry, but you're not Jesus. And so if even Jesus took breaks, you should be taking breaks to withdraw and pray on your own, away from the crowd. All right, so Matthew chapter 14, starting with verse 22. Let's see if you got it right. Matthew writes, immediately, so immediately after they finish cleaning up after the feeding of the 5,000, they pick up all the loaves, all the fish, all the leftovers. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a similar story from Luke chapter 8, uh, but this story is a little bit different. Same lake, different story, and this, the difference here is that this time, Jesus doesn't get in the boat with them. We talked about a couple weeks ago in Luke 8, Jesus was napping while they were going across the lake. This time, he says, you go without me, I'll catch up later. And so he sent them off on their own. See, they had learned to trust Jesus when he was visibly and physically present, but now Jesus wants them to learn to trust him when they can't see him. And when you think about it, we're being taught that same thing every day, to trust a Jesus that we cannot see. And so in verse 23, Matthew says, After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. If you read this in Mark's gospel, he says they were three or four miles away from shore. These guys were rowing. <laughs> and as you hear this story and picture it in your mind, you can start to see how it's like what is happening in our lives as believers today. See, just like the disciples obeyed the words of Jesus to, to, to get in the boat and go without him, even though that didn't make any sense. Jesus, how, what, how are you going to catch up? We're, we're rowing across. The, how are you going to get with us later? Why are we just leaving you? It didn't make any sense. But they did it. They obeyed his words. And so just like the disciples, we do our best to obey the words of God, even in times when it doesn't make sense. But just like the disciples, as we go along, we discover that what he told us to do isn't so easy. So Jesus said, just go to the other side of the lake. I'll catch up with you. Well, it turned out that going to the other side of the lake was easier said than done for them. And that's the way it can be for us. Yeah, I'll obey you. I'll obey what you want, God. 
And then it gets a little more difficult because the current is against us. The tide is against us. The wind and the waves are against us. We are swimming upstream. And the further we go, the harder it gets. We're in the darkness. We're disoriented. We can't see Jesus anymore. And we start wondering if he's abandoned us. But here's the truth. See Jesus. Let me try that again. We can't see Jesus, but Jesus can see us. And it was true for the disciples that day on the water, and it's true for us today. In Mark 6.48, Mark tells us that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars as they were fighting the, the storm. And, and they couldn't see them. It's, they couldn't see Jesus, but he could see them. And he sees you too as you strain at the oars in your own life. And there are times when life is truly a struggle. And you might start to wonder if God sees what you're going through. If he, if he sees your pain. And if that's you now, I want you to know that he does. And if that's not you now, I want you to file that truth away for when you need it later. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. And he's closer than you think. Matthew says in verse 25, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. We'll get to that second part here in just a minute. But if it's shortly before dawn, that means the disciples have been out there struggling on the water for a while now. Jesus sent them out when it was night, and now we see it's shortly before dawn. So it's been several hours. They have to be just exhausted. And Jesus, well, he's been watching them the whole time. And not in like a sadistic way. He's not getting any pleasure out of watching them struggle. He's not laughing at them or, or anything like that. He's not belittling them. But I think there's a lesson here that, that most parents know. And that's that there are times when your kids have to battle through something on their own to, to come out stronger on the other side. Certainly you could jump in and help them. You could do it for them, Right? But they wouldn't be as strong then. They wouldn't know how to do it on their own. On their own. They wouldn't uh, come out better on the other side. They wouldn't have done it on, like, by themselves without your help. And I'm not sure that you can apply that whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger uh, in broad swaths to, every, swaths to every situation. But there are times that when you go through something on your own and come out on the other side, well, you come out a stronger person. And I think we can start to see a pattern forming in Jesus' teaching method. In the storm we covered in Luke 8 a couple weeks ago, he's, he's taking a nap. And here in Matthew 14, he's sitting off in the distance watching. The point is, he's always nearby, but he's trying to grow and strengthen the faith of the disciples. Again, you've learned to trust me when I'm visibly and physically present with you. But now I want you to learn to trust me when you can't see me. And as we go through the storms in our lives, Jesus isn't concerned with the size of your storm. He's not concerned with all that's surrounding you and, and how big it is, the magnitude of what you're going through right now, because no storm is bigger than Jesus. Instead, he's concerned with the size of your faith. Friends, the pressures of life are upon us. Obedience to Christ is not going to get any easier. For most of us, the rowing is going to get harder before it gets easier. And it's in our struggles that God forges our faith. But that doesn't mean that he's not close. And just as the strength of the disciples begins to wane, Jesus approaches them uh, to give them an amazing glimpse 
of his power and glory never before seen. Verse 25 again, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Boy, there's a lot in that sentence, right? They, they, that sentence makes it so like ho-hum, like, oh, he was, he was walking on the lake. You know, something that happens every day. There's a lot in just those few words. That sentence makes it seem commonplace, yet it's something that only ever happened once in recorded history. Now, if you were the disciples, how would you have responded? I mean, there's way, the wind and the waves are everywhere. It's, it's, cra- it's chaos in the boat. And then suddenly you see a form coming close to you. And you gotta, it's almost like, who is it? Who's there? Oh, it's just Jesus. He's just walking on the water. He's doing what? This is crazy. And so I, I don't know how you would have responded, but I would have been a little taken aback at least. Well, Matthew records the disciples' actual response in verse 26. And he says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Uh, Yeah, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Yeah, I think that's probably how most of us would have responded. Seeing their fear, Jesus immediately calls out, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And suddenly the disciples have seen yet another glimpse of Jesus' Jesus's incredible power and glory. See, they had seen his power over demons. They had seen his power over disease and over death. And now they're seeing his power over nature. And time and again, Jesus was showing his authority over new things, over all these earthly things. They were learning new things at every turn about Jesus. And regardless of what you think you know about Jesus... Boy, there's always something new. There's always, always so much more to discover and experience about Jesus. And for our friend Peter, he was about to learn that in a really big way. See, amidst the fear of the disciples, Peter, he steps up and he takes the lead. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And, and Peter wasn't trying to like show off. He wasn't trying to, to be like Jesus. He wasn't trying to show up the other disciples or anything. He, he knew, he just knew if Jesus said it, then he could do it. He had the faith that said, if Jesus says I can come out there, then I can come out there. He knew that all things weren't possible for man, but that all things are possible with God. And I think we can definitely learn from Peter here. Because he didn't just hop out of the boat and say, help me, Jesus, right? See, sometimes we don't seek Jesus out before we move. We just hop out of the boat because we, before we see if it's Jesus calling us out there and, and calling us to move in that direction. We just hop out and say, hey, save me. I need help. And, and certainly Peter felt a, a closeness with Jesus, and there might have been a temptation for him to, to prove his faith and say, see, I trust you the most, Jesus. I was the only one to jump out of the boat. I was the only one to come out. These, I'm the best disciple. You know, the, the disciples like to argue about who was the best. And so Peter, he, he, there might have been a temptation to do that, but instead he makes sure that his actions are led by Jesus before he gets out of the boat. In your life, don't fall into the trap of jumping out of the boat and then ask God to bless it. We get ourselves into our fair share of troubles because we move and then we ask. But how much trouble could we save ourselves by asking before we move? And if we seek God first, we can carry on knowing that he will make it possible for us to do it. Or as the famous saying goes, what God calls you to, he will pull you through. 
And so Peter asks, and Jesus says, come. Oh, and now it's time for Peter's big moment. He stakes everything on the word of Jesus. He knows the laws of nature. He knows this isn't supposed to be possible. This isn't supposed to be happening, but he trusts the Lord with all his heart. Man, that's the kind of faith that I want. That's the kind of faith that we should all want. God said it, and so I believe it, and that settles, and I don't need to hear anything else. Continuing on in verse 29, Matthew writes, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And man, this is an incredible moment. Peter understood the truth that we all need to grasp, that when we trust in and obey Jesus, we are able to go beyond the natural abilities of life. We think we can't do it. We think we can't make it. But if Jesus says we can, then we can. By his power and by his word, there is nothing that our God can't do, that our Savior Jesus can't do. Our faith is rooted in the word of God. But then, and you know how this next part goes if you know the story, we know that fear and doubt show up for Peter. Verse 30, but when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid and and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Remember the question a couple weeks ago, where is your faith? It's the same question. Peter's moment, it was certainly awesome, but it was short-lived. When his fear set in, doubt moved in. And the same thing happens to us. If faith requires that we follow God when it doesn't make sense, then fear and doubt can creep in when we try to make sense of what God is trying to do. So what can we do? to deal with these unfounded fears that allow doubt to creep in to our faith. Well, first, we need to understand the power of fear. See, fear is not just an emotion. It's a power that can grip your entire soul. It will fight against faith, and it will battle for control of your heart and your mind. See, if fear was only an emotion, we could stifle it. We could ignore it. We could push it down. But fear is a debilitating power. In the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, the servant who hid what the master had given him justified it, justified his lack of action by his fear. He said, I was afraid, so I hid your gold in the ground. Back in the Old Testament, when Moses sent out the 12 spies into the land, 10 of them came back with fear in their heart. Now, some of us might deal with fear a little bit more than others. It might be a part of your personality, a part of your makeup, your temperament. It seems that Timothy in the New Testament had a, a, temp, a timid personality, and that's why Paul told him in 2 Timothy 1.7, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And while we know that Peter was certainly not a timid man in this moment, he was terrified. And so what's your moment? What are your greatest fears? The times that fear gra- grips your entire soul. Well, some of us might be afraid of terrorists or criminals. You might be afraid of failure or uh, of being alone or of being with people or of being vulnerable and transparent with people. Fear is a strong power that can paralyze the process and the progress of your faith. And if you can identify the place of your fear, then you can be on your way to mobilizing for Jesus. 
Secondly, we should understand the logic of faith. Notice in the story of the moment that, that Peter let fear into his heart. Matthew says it happened when he saw the wind. It's interesting that Peter believed he could trust Jesus to defy the laws of nature, but when he saw the wind, something happened to his faith. Why would it make sense? If you're walking on the water, what would, why would it make sense? What else is going on around you? You're walking on water. But when he felt the, the wind and the waves crashing, he saw the effects, fear overcame him. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense to say, Lord, I, help you. I, I trust you to help me walk on the water, but only when the sun is shining. <laughs> but perhaps you know some fair-weather Christians in your life. People who believe when, and praise when life is good, but they falter in the storms. Perhaps you've fallen into that category a time or two as well. But that kind of faith, it doesn't make sense. Because if you can trust God for forgiveness, if you can trust God for salvation, if you trust God to raise your body for the last resurrection, if you trust God for heaven, then why don't you trust him in the storms of your life? If you look through the Gospels, whenever, whenever Jesus did a healing, he would forgive their sins first to show his authority, his ultimate authority. And then he would heal. And then he would drive out demons. He said, I, I have power over sin, so you can trust me with just about any, with anything else. Not just about, you can trust me with anything else. And so if we can trust him for the big supernatural things like forgiveness and salvation and resurrection and heaven, then trusting him with the little things of our life should be easy. But it's not always easy. It should be, but it's not. The third way to, to, to deal with the unfounded fears in our life that let doubt creep in is to practice the discipline of worship. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and allowed the storm around him to create doubt and fear in that moment. And he began to sink. But what saved him? Well, he looked again at Jesus and he cried out for help. That's the definition of, uh, definition of worship. It's the gaze of a soul upon Jesus. It's the cry of a heart out to him. When fear comes your way, put your eyes on Jesus and cry out to him, just like Peter did. We read our focus verse this morning from Psalm 27. I'd, I'd like to read it again now. It says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And that's what we all need in our moments of fear and failure. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. To open our eyes to see him. To fix our eyes on him. Stop looking at the wind and the waves of your fear and start looking more at Jesus. And we need to practice, practice this more than we know. You see, our salvation has less to do with us and more to do with him. We have a part in it, no doubt, but that's only because he allows us to play a part. And it's such a small part compared to what he does. And so our response for our salvation is to worship him. And this is why we come into the house of the Lord every week as a corporate body. We come to build each other up and to put our gaze on Jesus. Everything we do has that as its goal. 
Our songs focus on Jesus. Our friendship and our fellowship is possible only through Jesus. Our giving in the offering plate focuses on Jesus' provision for us. Our communion time focuses on Jesus' great sacrifice. And the sermon always points to the cross. It always comes back to Jesus because it's all of it is all about worship. And the more we worship, the more we see of him, and the more we realize that there is more of him to see. And when we worship, our fears subside, and the winds and the waves of our lives die down, and the peace that transcends all understanding. Verse 32 says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Charles Price was a minister in the early 1900s. He said of this passage, the waves that threatened to be over Peter's head were under Jesus' feet. So this morning, what are the waves that threaten to be over your head today? What storm are you in right now that you're, you're rowing, you're straining at the oars? You're really struggling to keep going, to fight through it. You can't see Jesus anymore. You're, you're disoriented. You're really, I don't know if I can make it much longer. I can't keep my head above water much longer. I feel like I'm drowning in this. What are the storms? What are the waves that you feel like are about to go over your head? Because whatever they are, while they might be at your head, they're all under Jesus' feet. Take heart, my friends. For I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful that we can come into your house this morning and to worship you for all that you are. Father, we're thankful that your son Jesus came into this world to die on the cross for each one of us. And I pray that we never lose sight of that. We never, that never becomes something that's mundane or, or just old. But that that would be a truth that reinvigorates us every day. That changes the way that we live. That changes the way that we worship. And so, Father, when our circumstances start to beat us down, I pray that, like Peter, when we start to sink, when we start to fall, that we would put our eyes back on Jesus and worship him and cry out to him. Peter certainly could have tried to to struggle on his own. He could have tried to to swim on his own to get out of that. But the first thing he did was cry out to Jesus. I pray that would be our response as well. When we begin to struggle, when we begin to drown, instead of trying to do it ourselves, to fix it ourselves, I pray that we would cry out to you. Because the waves that are at our head are underneath Jesus' feet. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace most of all. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that he would go to the cross to pay for each one of our sins and that we would have, because of his defeating the the death of this world, that we would have an eternal hope that goes beyond anything that this world could throw at us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, if you've come and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never said, I want to make Jesus the Lord and the King of my life, then I hope 
that you'll make that decision this morning. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make to come and be baptized in front of all of your friends, all of these witnesses, and say, I want to be a new creation in Christ. And I want to make him the Lord over all over my decisions, make him the Lord over all of my relationships, and come to him with everything. Become a new creation. Leave your old life behind and become a new creation in him. And so if you never made that decision, I, I pray that you'll come this morning and we, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to baptize you in, in front of the, everybody here and we can celebrate with you as you enter into this new life to follow Jesus with the rest of your days. Maybe you've come this morning and you already have made that decision, but that doesn't mean, we talked about, that doesn't mean that you are going to have a pain-free life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a life free of trouble just because you have a faith in Jesus. In fact, sometimes we get steered into the storm. Sometimes the storms are worse because of your faith. And so this morning, if you just need some prayer, I'd love for you to come down front and I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to get God involved in in your situation. If you haven't already done that, that's the first step is to cry out to him. And I'd love to to pray with you over whatever is going on in your life right now or the life of a loved one. And so uh, I'll be right down front here. I'd love to pray with you. If you you don't want to come down right now, then I can, you can come up at the, after the service or sometime through the week. Uh, We have our QR code as well that has prayer requests on it. And uh, I would love for you to to scan that, and we can pray for you uh, during the week as well as the staff. And so uh, if, that's, if you need prayer, if you need to have a decision you need to make, then I'll be right down front here. But I just ask that we all stand and sing our final song together.